What's up, everybody? This is the Mixed the MMA Ratings Podcast back for November 30th, 2017. And I am here again. This is Rafael Garcia with Shawan Humes to talk about MMA. And how are you doing today, sir? Oh, man, you know me. Chilling as always. Ready to get this discussion going tonight. Yeah, man, we got quite a bit to talk about with more than a couple shows this weekend to cover but we got that to talk about we got some news from this week to cover as well so let's go ahead and jump right in and have this conversation man because there are a couple of different things that i surely want to talk to you about and let's just go ahead and get it out the way because you know i don't want to spend too much on this but let's talk about conor mcgregor and his foolishness from the last few days have you been following this story about him and running with uh some irish gangsters yeah i was uh I've been reading about it. I'm not quite sure how much actual reality there is to it, but it seems like this could be a legitimate issue. Like, I've read multiple articles where they go into the background of these guys and what they've meant to the Irish sports scene and what they mean is on a criminal level, like, internationally. So it seems like this could really be a problem for him. And why is that? Well... I mean, I know a lot of people think because he's a celebrity, you can't you can't be touched and things can't happen. But um, if you follow boxing long enough, Floyd Mayweather had an issue at one point with a guy, James Prince, who was the head of Rap-A-Lot Records, a big guy who's had some criminal connections. And at one point, Floyd had to get somebody to pay a lot of money so that him and his people weren't going to get hurt further. They had to pay Bob Arum a lot of money so that they would leave Floyd's people alone. And you would think Floyd uh, at one time was an a, a Olympic medalist one of the best boxers in the world. Dealing with, if you're dealing with a certain level of criminal, they don't care about that. That stuff doesn't matter to them. And that that's that's had we've had other athletes in other sports get caught up in similar situations because they think I'm a Super Bowl this, I'm a NBA this, and people who deal in certain circles just don't care about that kind of thing. That means nothing to them. They're they're kind of beyond that. They're not like regular people who just who just will respect what you've accomplished and respect your your stature in that sport. These are people who are dealing with other types of things in their lives so yeah it's a pretty um intriguing situation here because what's going on with him unfortunately we're seeing a trend of bad behavior and i wrote about this uh, i believe it was last week that the ufc needs to say something they need to they need, they need to take a stand um it's actually pretty interesting because this week Dana White had that scrum for leading into UFC 218, and he had some pretty interesting things to say about Tony Ferguson. He had some interesting things to say about Frankie Edgar, um, one guy who is almost like a made man since we're using gangster talk right now when it comes to the UFC, like the number of favors he's done this organization, but he still has some bad things to say about him. But he didn't have too much to say about Conor here. And it's like, what, what is this man going to have to do for you to reprimand him in public the same way you've done with John Jones, Tyron Woodley, GSP, the Diaz brothers, everybody else? What is it going to take for this man to do some to, to, to do for you to have to reprimand him in public? Um, and it's just, it's just, it's a trend that I think we're seeing headed in the wrong direction because it's escalating more and more. He's kind of like that, that cousin that comes into a lot of money and doesn't know how to act and just continues to misbehave and misbehave and misbehave until it gets out of control, he's headed in that direction. Well, to be honest, he, he's really just like a lot of other pro athletes. He's coming to money. He's I mean, the, the Mayweather fight was where he made the real, real money. 
but you come into money, you start buying other stuff, you start getting away from the lifestyle that got you the money and got you the accomplishments, you start getting in trouble, whether it's bar fights or in NBA, NFL circles, it's assaults, it's getting women pregnant, it's assaulting women, it's it's having, you know, we've had NFL players get in trouble for drug rings, even though a lot of people in MMA are saying, well, this is something new, that just tells me people in MMA don't follow pro sports, because when pro athletes make it big and they start crossing over, lose their money, lose their success, lose their, their legacy, getting into trouble outside of the football field, basketball court, uh, track and fields, boxing ring, now the cage. This is like a story as old as time. People come into money, they come into fame, and who that person really is either shows up or gets highlighted. Because in the case of Conor McGregor, I've heard about, they did an article on ESPN, uh, ESPN.com, going into some of the trouble he had been into and some of the people he had hung around. And a lot of these guys in MMA, they, they have similar backgrounds, whether it's not criminal organizations, it's just behavior attributed to your sport. So now as the money gets a little bit bigger, you start seeing guys, um, you start seeing guys act out, you start seeing guys get in trouble. And Dana is going to protect the guys who can make him money, just like when Floyd was with Golden Boy Promotions. No matter what Floyd did, Oscar made an excuse, people would cover for him, people would explain it. As soon as he left HBO, he left Golden Boy Production, would have an HBO ran him into the ground. HBO started talking about his, his issues with women. They never talked about it before. Now, now Showtime ain't got nothing to say because he's with them, just like Showtime had nothing to say when Mike Tyson was with them. It's all about who's generating the money and getting every dollar you can out of that out of that ATM, which is a fighter. And that's all That's all Dana's trying to do is squeeze every bit of money he can out of there. Who, whoever can make him money, he's on their side. He will defend them tooth and nail. When people start costing him money or they don't even have the potential to really earn him real money, that's when he throws them under the bus. Bus, Frankie Edgar, Tyron Woodley, they're considered guys who aren't earners. So he doesn't have anything positive to say. He'll take shots at them all day, all, all night. Ronda Rousey, he still won't say a bad word about her. Conor McGregor still won't say a bad word about him. And they're the big time earners. They're the crossover stars. And he doesn't want to get on their bad sides because they have so much leverage and they produce so much for him. So... In your opinion, how afraid or how concerned should the UFC be at this point? I think that they should definitely, they should be concerned. Because remember, um, and I'm going to use John Jones as an example here. And again, a lot of this stuff is alleged. Nothing is 100% known at this point in time. Um, you know, we don't know if the situation is true. We don't know if it really is in a legitimate danger, as people are trying to say. No one, no one actually has that concrete yes or no answer. But we have this situation. We have him being caught on camera um, saying the derogatory F word over and over again. We have him uh, with the Bellator situation. What level of uh, concern should the USC have at this point? I think that they should be getting, they should be concerned right now because this is a guy who, yes, his edgy demeanor and attitude does draw attention but there's a level of attention you don't want and this is not this is not the attention that you want um we saw how the involvement of um the under i guess the underworld affected pride over the years that's a well-known story and we don't want to even begin to have those conversations within the ufc and with someone who's such a big huge star for the organization as conor mcgregor so on a scale you know how worried do you think the organization should be at this point in time well given i think they should be very worried and it's not just about the uh it's not just about the criminal aspect of this because 
we, like you said, there's nothing concrete. And to be quite honest, we're never going to know anything's concrete. Even if it, if it really is that bad, we're never really going to know. Because that stuff's going to be rumors, innuendo, behind-the-scenes type stuff. We'll never really, really know. Even if something really happened to him, we'll never really know. But the thing, that, the thing that's concerning to me, he's gotten into recently. Like, how many issues, how many problems he had. It's like you're starting to see an escalation in the chain of events of drama, altercation, and problematic behavior in him. You know, first it's this. Now it's, it was running into the cage. It's slapping an official. Now it's getting into bar fights. I mean... You're, you're a multi-millionaire. What are you doing getting into physical altercations in a bar? I mean, you're above that kind of thing. You're beyond that sort of thing. It's the same thing as John Jones getting behind a, dr a, a wheel. You're a multi-millionaire. Why are you driving behind a wheel when you're in, when you're compromised at all? How do you get yourself in these sort of situations? And the biggest thing with the UFC is like this is that these are their bigger stars, and they're trying to they really want to have that crossover brand. But when you start having guys like this. In the sport that it is, a lot of people can't separate the people from the sport. And when you see behavior like this, it starts making people not—it starts making people have a certain impression of uh, of the fighters because they're already thought of as you know violent and over aggressive and caveman because they do this sport. And now, and the, oh, we're different. I, I do this, I do this, I do that. But now they're seeing these behaviors, and it's like, well, how how much? Well, of course you're a guy who beats up people for a living. Look what else you do outside of the cage. And if you think about that, we've seen that in football, you know, they're animals, they're thugs. And people will say it's a racial thing, but a lot of the issue is it's a sport. People think certain kind of athletes carry themselves a certain kind of way outside of their sport. And that's going to start permeating in mixed martial arts. And mixed martial arts, they've got a lot of issues. The UFC had somebody go to jail for fixing a fight. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that too, because um, that that's it's, it's amazing that Dana White finally said something about it today because he was asked, but there's a there's a need for concern there because of what they saw and what we um, the ramifications of that. So we will be talking about that later on in the show. But yeah, that was definitely a hell of a situation there too. Yeah, just another situation. I mean, like, and the thing is, you, MMA is never to me. It's not going to be a, ever going to be a huge huge sport because think about this: any other sport there is, football, basketball, even major league baseball. If there was even a role player. For fixing games, it'd be a huge story. It'd be all over. You wouldn't be able to get away from it. We have a fighter who was actually caught, who, who's in jail right now. How many stories have you seen on that ESPN or Fox Sports or anywhere? Which one? About the guy who, uh, the one who got arrested, who got put in jail for fixing the fight. Oh, it um, a, it it's about, a uh, story. yeah, we have you ever seen much about Tae Young Bang anywhere? That's what I'm saying. So it's like the sport hasn't ever become that mainstream because if it was, all these little incidents of things that the fighters have done, it would be on a 24-hour loop. I mean, imagine if Tom Brady got in a fight with someone from the Irish mob in Boston. Imagine if, you know, uh, Cam Newton was fixing game. I mean, if we put their equivalents in it, this stuff would never go away. It's because of the sport and, and the image of the sport that these things don't get more play in the public. People just kind of brush it off as, oh, they're fighters. That kind of things happen. But lots of things that happen in mixed martial arts in front of the camera and behind it that if it happened in any other sport, would be 24-hour coverage. From sexism to assault to criminal activities to all-out brawls, whatever it is they've had been, it's happened in the past couple years, it, we wouldn't be able to get away from it if this sport was bigger. But part of the reason the sport will not become bigger is because of things like this and how much the public isn't ready to assume the fact that these people who are the most dangerous people in the world 
acting in a certain reckless behavior outside of the cage. That that's that's not good for business. That's a hard sell to make. Yeah, man, it's it's been a interesting week, and I think that the way that it's being covered, or the lack thereof, is a good conversation point because there's so many different opportunities to say, okay, what is really going on here, and what, how much concern should we really have? And right now, yeah. that concern isn't really showing through, and I and I agree with you. It is because of the level of mainstream finish, uh, excuse me, the level of of mainstream coverage that we see right now with the sport, which isn't here, but um, that that is, you know, a conversation for, that, we, that, that we're going to continue having, because it's, cause it's not something that, that's going to change overnight, like, it, it'll take, it's going to take, I hate to say it, this situation with Conor McGregor, I believe if it does get worse, we will begin to see more coverage of it, just because of the magnitude of who he is. Yeah, that, that's almost a guarantee, if, it, if something concrete comes out, it's going to be huge because the biggest star in combat sports, because Floyd is no longer involved in it, really. The biggest star, maybe the second biggest star getting involved with the criminal underworld and also that it, it could be a huge story if, 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 if it gets much bigger or it gets a little bit further along. Definitely. I definitely agree with you on that. So that's really all I want to cover when it comes to that. I don't want to talk about his situation too much. Let's keep moving forward and let's talk about Michael Bisbing. Um, after... What we saw from UFC 217 and then UFC Fight Night 121, where he was brutally knocked out by Kevin Gastelum. Now that we have those two moments back to back, are you? Um, well, first and foremost, I was definitely against him taking this fight against uh, Gastelum in, in the first place. I thought it was a dangerous situation, and it turned out to be just that. How bad did that look to you? In the sense that they basically put this man in there, because from his standpoint, it's like, well, I'm just here to make some money real quick. And from the UFC standpoint, it's like, oh my God, we need to throw somebody out there to make sure we don't lose the viewership that we've already kind of are going to get with losing uh, Anderson Silva. How how bad does this look with that outcome? I mean, it's a really bad, bad look. I mean, it's it's a bad look on multiple levels. First of all, when GSP fought Bisping afterwards, he said half. The, part of the reason he picked him was because Bisping is compromised because of his eye. That that was part of his strategy. So now you have people actually game planning around the physical physical and health limitations of a fighter. That's that's not a great sign. That guy also got rocked and fairly, I mean, he got beat up on the feet. He said GSP didn't really hurt him, but it looked like he hurt he him. Dropped he dropped him. him. Yeah, he looked he looked hurt. And you and even though he wasn't stopped, he was, he was choked out. I believe GSP could have got the stoppage on strikes, to be honest. But he get he gets finished on he gets finished and he signs up for this fight and you're putting him in with a young guy who who has a hard time making middleweight who has a hard time making middleweight which means he's huge and a guy who even who who isn't the most dynamic puncher but is a very athletic very strong very sturdy built very hard hitting younger guy and you have Michael Bisping coming off of essentially a stoppage loss to face him it just I understand why they did it. They didn't want to lose the viewership, like you said. They wanted to have a good main car, to have a good main event. But that was because the rest of the card was so weak. Had they had a better card, maybe they don't have to sacrifice Michael Bisping, put Michael Bisping on the cross to pay for, to, to be punished because of this. And the, the third bad look about it is the fact of the matter, it, it, make, it doesn't help Kevin Gasolum's argument at all. He's screaming that he wants a title fight, whatever. You just beat up a guy who got beat up by a blown up welterweight three weeks before, 
every guy you've knocked out is is a guy on a physical decline or a guy who's not active. Vitor Belfort knocked him out. Tim Kennedy, what what does that mean now in hindsight? Michael Bisping, he's just beating up on all these old guys who who can't compete anymore, and now he's screaming that he's one of the best middleweights in the world. He wants to fight after just beating up a guy who who just got beat up and stopped in a, in a fight three weeks ago. It's just a bad look all around. It makes the UFC look hypocritical because they were looking out for Mark Hunt's well-being, in air quotes. They needed to protect Mark Hunt, but you need to protect the guy with the damaged eye who just got beaten up and and choked out three weeks ago. You don't need to look out for his well-being. And then you have him going against a guy who's a better athlete, younger, and a bigger hitter. Like, it, it's just a bad look all all around. And you have Kelvin Gasolum screaming and bragging like he really did something. And no offense, I know Bisping's got a name and he's a former world champion, but let's not mistake the title he had and the accomplishments he's had recently as compete, comparing him to an elite middleweight. He, he hasn't been an elite middleweight for a while, and he's not one now. Yeah, man, I, th- I think that that was definitely a bad loss on his part. And as I said, leading into the fight, when it was announced that he was taking that place on, what was it, three weeks' notice, that I wonder, like, where's his corner in this situation? Where was his corner to basically say, you know what, no, I understand what you're trying to do. I understand you're trying to get another big payday, but... There has to be a point in time. There has to be a diminishing return there because yeah. The damage. Remember we talked about this when the fight happened, and 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 our logic was kind of we we both kind of agreed. You fought GSP. You've been holding on all your career, and you came up just short of the big fight of the title fight. He got the title. He got to defend it, and he got the big money fight. Like, why are you fighting anymore? And if anything, why are you fighting against a young, hungry, hard-hitting guy like? Michael, no offense, I understand people don't like the business aspect of it, but Michael Bisping is, is like GSP. He's far beyond fighting someone like Kevin Gaston. We already know Bisping is a warrior. He fought everybody. So in, at this point of his sta- stage of his career, should he really be fighting Kevin Gaston? No, no way. And that's why I could never be a manager in mixed martial arts. So I'd be like, dude, you're not taking this fight. But yes, I am. I quit. I'm not, I'm not signing off. I don't care if you win or you lose. I'm not signing off for this. Michael Bisping is beyond these kind of fights at this stage. You're a former champion. You're the face of the network. Uh, you've got a, a record is known as the most feistiest, gutsiest guy who got, got all of the, out of his physical talent. Why are you taking this kind of fight? A short notice fight at this stage? He, he just, it's just so far beyond. He's so far beyond this right now. He already got his payday. He got his title. What is he doing this for? Like, for what? What reason? Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. Like, what is he doing at that point in time? And, um, yeah, I'm just interested. You know, he's supposed to be fighting again in March, which isn't that far away. And if he's going to be training for that, you know, he's probably going to start training uh, at some point in time early. So, like, there's that situation, too. So, you know, we'll see what the hell is going on because I think that 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 was a bad decision for him to make. And, yes, we all are aware that he's on his way out. But I wonder what the is going to be of guys taking these poundings and we'll see at some point in time as fighters kind of continue to make their way out of the game but that was just a that was a sight I didn't want to see I felt like we all knew we were going to see and that just made it more uncomfortable when he was dropped like that I, I hope more fighters actually understand it just makes them remind reminds them that this is a business next time they talk about doing a favor for the UFC or I'll fight anyone anywhere you know what that might be fine when you're young coming up but at a certain point, you have to deal with the reality of the fact that you can't do this forever. And you're going to have a life after this. you got a better head start than most people who do an MMA. They don't have they didn't make the money he has. They, they don't have a network job. 
and and he's resorting to this side of thing. And the company that he's done so many favors for and he's fought without ever turning a fight down, their reward, his reward for that is to go in and face Kelvin Gaston on short notice after just losing a fight three weeks before. That's his reward. That's what getting, that's what doing favors for the business, the business gets you. And that's, it, it's a business. It's just like having a job. Your job can cut you at any time. This business can cut you at any time. Your bet, your interest is making as much money as you can, doing it in as safe a manner as you can, and getting out with all your faculties in 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 tow. He's he's risking that, and nobody should have let him do that. If UFC said okay, we'll do it, his team should have been nah, we ain't signed off on that. I'm sure. I guarantee you, his wife wasn't okay with it. I guarantee you that much. Yeah, man, it was just a a bad situation through and through for all those guys uh, involved. What do you do at Kelvin Gastelum next? He's calling for Robert Whitaker. Personally, I don't think that they put him in that fight, but what do you do with him next? Man, I, I really don't know because, I mean, he's on a fairly good win streak. I mean, what, he's won three out of four. But like I said, who's he been beating up? He's beating up. A, he's taking the Chris Weidman route to the belt. And I don't even hate Chris Weidman, but he was beating up on a bunch of old guys and third and fourth tier fighters, and that's what got him his title fight. He didn't beat anybody elite on his way to fighting – Silva, and if Gastelum somehow gets a title shot, he has not beaten one elite guy yet. He has beaten a bunch of has-beens. And then the one time he fought somebody who was even remotely close to his prime, he got choked out and finished. So it's like, I, I don't know what you do. I'd like to see him actually fight a legitimate middleweight, like a legitimate top five, top ten middleweight. I mean, I guess Bisping counts, but at this stage, Bisping's name is top ten. His skills and his physical durability isn't. And I'm going to say something that's unpopular. For a couple of minutes in there, Bisping's movement and his jab was giving Gaslam problems. Gaslam didn't just one shot him and walk right through him. He was having problems finding his range on Bisping for a little bit. That's not a good sign either. Me personally, I'd like to see him fight somebody who, who's in the top 10, top 7. I guess they could do a fight with Whitaker because right now, you know GSP's not defending that title against Whitaker. We already know that's not happening. And they need a fight for Whitaker. And I think most of the other guys are coming off of losses. Um, Weidman's won one out of his last three or four fights, so you can't put him in there. Romero hasn't fought since his loss. Is he booked I right know. now? I, I don't even know if he's booked. I don't think he but, is. I, that, they, that's the name fought, I was going to... You can't have that rematch right away. Maybe Luke Rockhold? I no, well, I, a... I was saying I was going to throw that name out there for Gastelum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see him beat somebody who's elite before you just give him a title shot, but I could see he's, he's kind of on a... He's, fought a lot. He's been headlined a couple cards. So right now, his name might carry a little bit more weight than Rockhold, because Rockhold's a better fighter, but Rockhold's only fought once in like two years. Um, Gaslam, this is like his fourth or fifth fight in two years? So he's been pretty busy. So they, they, they might need just a name they can put they can put Whitaker in again. But I don't think Gaslam's really earned it, and I don't think Gaslam can beat him either. So, I mean, I, I just like to see him face somebody elite. At least a Luke Rockhold, Derek Brenton, Something of that nature, but I don't. I don't know if that's going to happen. They might really just push him into a title fight because they don't have really anybody else who can take it right now. Yeah, the middleweight division is, is in an odd place, especially with the idea that it's being floated around that GSP might not um, defend that title. So yeah, it's definitely in a very, very odd place at at, at this point in time. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Tae Young Bang because as as you mentioned earlier, you know, he was found, he's jailed now uh, because he was found in, um, I guess, guilty of 
trying to fix a fight and even though he decided to not fix the fight um i can't remember who he was fighting but he ended up winning via split decision uh the ufc actually approached him right before the fight because they noticed the big swing in um the betting odds right before the fight occurred so i guess that played a part in him deciding to not throw the fight because he knew that they were basically on to him let's talk about this man how big of a story is this because it's not really getting coverage man if they I, like they Dana White barely talked about it today, uh, and you know it hasn't really been talked about too too much. Um, I think this is a massive story because it makes you wonder about the sport as a whole. Like how many every like almost every car we see a questionable split decision, and you remember back when um, Ben Saunders, not Ben Saunders, I think it was Ben Saunders. Who was the guy who went the World, World Series of Fighting and came back? Was it Ben Saunders when he used to hint about? Um, that he threw a fight when he used to hint about throwing a fight to get out of his uh, World Series of Fighting um, contract. What are your thoughts about this and how serious of a deal is this moment here? Well, it's very serious. It is like we mentioned before. It is funny how this isn't getting any play in, in the national media. Not really. I mean, I know people are going to say he's not a big name fighter, so it doesn't matter. But if you had the, I don't know, the third, the third string offensive lineman for the Patriots getting caught or insinuating that he had fixed games or he had influenced games, that'd be a huge story, even if it was a third stringer, because of the popularity of the sport and how much money those sports generate. So that just tells me that the MMA is not as big a crossover or mainstream sport as they like to advertise it as. And it is a serious issue, because once it's one thing, basically if you're having predetermined fights or you're having guys give up submissions or put themselves in certain positions so another guy could win, you're affecting the the I don't know the true sportsmanship of the fight, and once you lose that, you be, you essentially become WWE. And if they don't have that integrity, that it's 100% real, or that people are fixing or holding things back, I mean, I might as well watch WWE because at least then I can guarantee the guy I want to win is going to win, or I'll get a good storyline or something else out of it. The reason you watch combat sports and sports in general is because you don't know what's going to happen, and you want to see the very best guys against the very best. And you want to see them execute under all circumstances. Once you lose that and you think that people are either pulling punches or holding back or giving up submissions to people, um, I mean, a sport a sport the size of the mixed martial arts, I don't believe, can really take a hit if that was ever to be proven that it's been a continuous thing over the years. They're just not big enough. They're not big enough. They don't, they don't have a, a long enough history. And given some of the shady stuff that's happened in the background of the history, they, they don't. They just, they just couldn't afford for this to come out, and they, they should be glad that the media isn't covering this. Yeah, because this is a story that could definitely raise a whole lot of questions with what we've seen in the sport over the years. I hope it's not something that we continue seeing as a problem. Um, I hope it's something that I don't want to say it goes away, but something that um, doesn't give the sport as, as big of a black eye as it should. I mean, we already have PEDs. We already have other fighter pay issues. We already have other issues. Let's well, not add this about, to, to the Think to about the, the bad. Think about some of the stuff. There was a judge who had a, who had a beef with a certain fighter's camp. That's happened. Think about some of the decisions we had. So if you have fighters fixing fights, who says judges aren't fixing fights? I mean, you, it'd be best for this sport for it to be exposed to help the sport move forward. But in the short term, it it would do it would do it would be a big hit for the sport, and it'd be hard to explain. Oh no, this fight is real, really? You know, because that just you know that decision looks a little fishy. How did this person win when they got outstruck, taken down, and almost finished? 
and then the, all the judges picked it for one per. I mean, there's just so many ways that this could this story could compound and get bigger and bigger. So I mean, the UFC is lucky that they don't get covered like a mainstream sport, even though they claim to be the one of the biggest mainstream sports out there. The, the coverage on this type of st- stuff shows that they're not as big as they advertise themselves out to be. Yeah, I agree with you on that there. Um, so let's continue forward here, man, because we have three fight cards that we need to kind of cover and go over tonight. The first of which is probably the biggest of all three this weekend, which is UFC 218, where we have Max Holloway fighting Jose Aldo for the second time due to Frankie Edgar's injury. And I think it's very um, in bad taste that Dana White tried to question Frankie Edgar for injuring his, his orbital bone. Um, in fight camp because clearly the man trains hard he trains hard for everything in his life so to see him see Dana White kind of question him like that I, that's just it just pissed me off more than anything else but that's neither here nor there um we got Max Holloway going up against Jose Aldo once again Holloway is a favorite because obviously he won the first fight which many people thought that Aldo was winning when the finish came about uh what are your thoughts about this because I'm hearing a lot of people saying that the way the first fight went they expect that uh, they expect Aldo to lose again, but in worse fashion, just because of, of the growth that Holloway has seen since that fight, and the fact that uh, Aldo, uh, how much more can Aldo change in such, such a short amount of time compared to the constant change that we see Holloway going through every time he steps out in, in the cage? So, what are your thoughts about this fight here, and how do you see it going? Well. No- I've always, for the past couple of years, I've had concerns with Jose Aldo. I just felt like, even before the the um, McGregor fight, he just didn't look super sharp, super durable to me. And, and after the McGregor fight, he hasn't looked he hasn't looked really durable either. Um, the biggest problem for him is is the durability, is the durability and the pace he likes to fight at. And most times he fights people, he can outclass them, getting by on his his boxing or getting by on his kickboxing. And that athleticism and that versatility in his striking kind of keeps guys from really pushing a pace on him. Because if you push a pace on Jose Aldo, he can't maintain it for five rounds, in my opinion. But he can put a lot of damage on you in those one to two rounds where he ramps up his fighting. And the question is, can you handle it? Chad Mendes tried to put a pace on him in that second fight. You saw what happened to Mendes. Mendes got beat up badly in that fight. He did. He, he did. He tried. He tried to push Jose, and it's like Brandstan said. He goes, "You want to push the pace on Jose? This is what you're gonna have to go through." And most guys aren't willing. They're not willing to open up on Jose Aldo. They always say Jose runs from stuff. He he won't use a lot of strikes. But nobody will really test him on that level because the, a they know they can't maintain that pace, and b they can't they know they can't take the heat that he's throwing out at them. The advantage Holloway has is Holloway is a pace fighter. He's all about pressing, using volume using versatility, attacking you on e- at every level, and constantly forcing you to have to work defensively or offensively to keep him off you, keep him off you or to keep pace with him. The, only, the other thing that works in his favor is he's actually a very durable fighter. He's been in with some fairly big hitters, Swanson, McGregor, even Ricardo Lamas has got some pop, Jeremy Stevens, and Anthony Pettis, and he's held up to all their offensive moves and techniques, and he's, had, he's been hit clean. He's been hit hard, and he has enough durability where he can take those shots and then make the adjustment. And the issue with Jose Aldo is, right now, he hasn't shown the, against the biggest hitters, he hasn't been showing the durability. He, he's been looking a little shaky, and he's never been a guy who could fight at pace. He's not, good at, he's not good at leading fights. He's not good at fighting at a high pace. He's good at 
sitting back, letting you come in, countering you, counting you with sharp power shots, whether it's kicks or punches, and essentially disciplining you so you're afraid to open up. And then once you get afraid to open up, you're just standing in front of him, and he just picks you apart, picks you apart. He'll have a huge little explosion here or there, you know, something to punctuate himself in the round. But then he just goes back to his normal idling speed where he's just picking you apart, outpositioning you, countering you, and occasionally landing leads on you. That doesn't work against that doesn't work against Holloway. He's too durable, he sets too high a pace, and he's too he's too he's too physical a fighter. You can't just sit back there and think that you're gonna counter or get away from everything he's throwing. The only way to really get his respect is you have to meet him you have to meet him at the point of contact and work with him. The problem being, Jose's defense gets loose when he starts leading, and his cardio can't hold up when he starts leading, which which also results in his offense declining and his defense getting looser. So I really don't see how he wins the fight because Holloway isn't all of a sudden going to lose his cardio unless I guess his chin just disappears overnight. That could be an issue. But the main way I'd have Aldo win is for him to him to push push Holloway back and pressure him and open up on him. But he'd have to do that for one, two, three rounds. I don't know that he can maintain it for three rounds, in a hard three rounds. I don't know that he can maintain it for a hard two rounds. And once he slows down, once he starts hesitating, once he starts thinking about it, it's all over. He, he, he's not able to intimidate or scare Holloway off, which allows Holloway to work at the pace and the range he wants to work at. It's the range he works at. There's no way Aldo can win that fight. So how do you see this fight going then? So do you, are you going are you going to pick uh, Holloway to retain his title? I pick Holloway to retain his title. I just don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure how how Jose approaches it. He's already tried to come out hot in the first fight. He came out hot, throwing big bombs, throwing a lot, throwing a lot, pushing the pace, moving Holloway back, and it kind of backfired on him because after about the second round, Holloway started adjusting, and you started seeing lose some of their snap his defensive movements were a little a half second slower his positioning started getting his footwork started started getting a little clumsier all because he set a pace he couldn't maintain so i can't imagine him trying to come out again and take it to holloway like that like that's walking right into the teeth of holloway's skill set and his approach but by the same instance i can't imagine him trying to sit back and pick holloway apart because if he's sitting back and he's letting Holloway dictate the exchanges and dictate the pace, dictate the pace of the fight, I don't see how he wins that fight either. So it, it's really, I don't really see how a way he wins this. I don't think he beats Holloway on the ground because I think Holloway's got the wrestling and the scrambling, the forced constant transitions, which Jose Aldo can't maintain. I can't see him trying to sit back because of Holloway's length and his versatility and the volume he throws. He's going to keep throwing, and yeah, Holloway, Aldo will have some big counters, but at some point... Holloway landing four for every one or two that Aldo lands is going to start piling up and breaking Aldo down. And if Aldo comes out hot trying to run him over again, I we've already seen that movie. He can't maintain that pace. There's no way he can maintain. In my opinion, there's no way he can maintain that pace. He's never really maintained a hard pace for five rounds. I have no reason to think that he's going to be able to do it at this point of his stage, this stage of his career. So every way I look at it, it seems like a clear win for. Max Holloway, unless by some chance uh, maybe Aldo hurts him really bad and then and goes for a submission, I could see that being a, uh, an avenue to winning. But as far as the fight being in extended stand-up exchanges or even in grappling exchanges, unless he hurts Holloway, I, I think 
it's Holloway's fight any way he wants to win. I think he could submit Aldo. Most likely, he probably just knocks him out on the feet. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't think Aldo. When Aldo beat beat Frank Edgar that second time, it was like, oh, he's back. But Frank Edgar really never was able to put any real heat on him. He couldn't pressure him. He couldn't land combinations on him. He was landing one or two shots here and there. But Frankie Edgar's never been a big hitter, and Frank Edgar wasn't able to make him work at a pace he didn't work at. Holloway has the range. He has the cardio. He has the pace. And what's more is Holloway's actually a technical striker. He can fight from orthodox or southpaw. He can pressure you, or he can sit back in range and box with you. So it's not like if Aldo just gets him to do one or two things, he can just dominate the fight. Holloway can fight a bunch of different ways. He can lead or he can counter. He can be defensive or he can be offensive. Aldo essentially is only really effective when he fights at a certain pace and fights in a certain manner, i.e. aggressively countering. When he's doing anything else, he looks very vulnerable. His defense doesn't look nearly as sharp. His offense isn't nearly as sharp. And he isn't nearly as effective when he's pushing pace being effective. It's Mendez, but in being that devastating, he took a ton of punishment from Mendez. He tried to be aggressive against McGregor. He walked into the shot, got KO'd, first punch he took. He tried to blow um, Holloway out of the ball, out of the water. All he ended up doing was extending his energy, giving Holloway his timing, and then and then having his technique kind of fall apart as a result of exhaustion and, and the abuse he was catching from Holloway. And then Holloway took over the fight. So, I mean, you have a guy who's multifaceted, got advantages in range, youth, cardio, and at this point, durability against a guy who's slower, smaller, and really is only 100% effective fighting one way. When this other guy can fight a multi multitude of ways and still be effective. So in my opinion, looking at this fight here, I believe that it's best for the division's sake. It's best for Holloway to get the win because there's so many um, there's so many fights that are kind of opened up with the opportunity. Clearly, they can try to rebook the fight against Frankie Edgar, but they need this division to kind of be opened up. But for Aldo, if he loses here again, uh, I, I don't know what's next for him. You know, can he go to lightweight? Can he stay at 145 and just kind of take? fights just to take fights. I mean, I don't think he wants to do that. Does he leave the sport entirely? I wouldn't be surprised, but this would be a tough loss for him to take again. But it's just in my opinion, I think that the division needs Holloway to keep this title at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, Holloway, he's the younger guy. He's, he's the guy who has a chance to kind of build a fan base. I think really, among the casual fans, I think Holloway's already more more of a fan favorite than Jose Aldo is. Um, I hate to say the speaking English plays part of that, that plays a part of it, him having that huge Hawaiian fan base, and they're big on fight fans. You know, the only other other big Hawaiian name they had was BJ Penn, and BJ Penn's been a known needle mover ticket seller for the UFC for years. Even the shell of BJ Penn st still gets ratings. But, um, and if Aldo wins, I mean, what else is there? Is, is there? There's no there's no real exciting matchup for Aldo. Was he going to do fight Edgar for a third time? That's boring. What are we going to hear him demand that Conor McGregor come back down and fight him at 145? There's really not a lot of options if Aldo wins. Thankfully, in my opinion, there's there's really very few ways that he can win this. I mean, I, I think I think the UFC wants Max Holloway to win. I think if you're a real fan of MMA, you want the sport to get more coverage and you want to expand. The best thing for it would be for Holloway to win. And to be to be honest, Holloway's essentially cleaned out the division anyway. He's beaten everybody ahead of him, everybody behind him, and the champion. So it's. It's really Holloway's fight to lose, and it's Holloway's division to push forward. 
Aldo kind of had his chance. He's been pushed by the UFC. He's only been so big. He's only been so popular. If they really want to get to the next level with this division, Holloway's probably going to have to be the guy to carry it. Okay, I'm not going to um, disagree with you on that there. Let's talk about some of the other fights that are happening this Saturday. We got um, Alistair Overeem and Francis Ngannou. Uh, this fight, you know you know how I feel about heavy, heavyweight MMA, so this really isn't a fight that jumps off the page to me. There I'm surprised you're talking about this fight because it's heavyweight uh, MMA. <laughs> dog, there are others I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more. But clearly, you know, Alistair Overeem is a big name. Ngannou is someone that they're trying to get into the title picture. Uh, I see a lot of people picking... Ngannou in this fight here, and I don't disagree with that just because, you know, the question mark we've seen over Overeem's chin over the last few years. What are some of your thoughts about this fight here, and how do you, and how do you feel about it shaking out? I like, I like Ngannou. He, he seems like a good guy. He seems very dedicated to the process of becoming a better fighter. He wants to be great. He, he's got dynamic athleticism and power and, uh, and IQ as far as physical IQ, as far as picking up skills. But the reason I wasn't big on him getting this fight. I mean, I'm glad he's getting tested, but the fact of the matter is he's accomplished literally nothing. He really hasn't beaten anybody in the UFC. Anybody would know. He's beaten some names, but they're faded names. Knocking out Andre Arlovsky nowadays means about as much as beating, knocking out BJ Penn. It just, it just doesn't have any cachet to it anymore. He's an athletic specimen who's shown power, quickness, explosiveness, physical strength, but I've never seen him adjust. I've never seen him adapt. I haven't seen any versatility of skills. I haven't seen any really good defensive skills, and I have no idea what he does when the fight isn't going. The fight isn't easy. The fight isn't going the way he wants, or he is losing a fight. I have no, no answers for him. I have no. I have no idea how he reacts, what he does, or how he how he works through bad situations. And it's hard for me to, to get behind a guy when there's so many questions about him, and a guy who's got so little development as far as skill. I know Overeem has a shaky chin. I know Overeem's been called a quitter, and he's a cheater and all stuff. But the fact of the matter is, Overeem is one of the be not best-skilled heavyweights of all time. He's one of the most skilled, most experienced, most individually accomplished MMA fighters in history. He was Strikeforce champion. He was a, a kickboxing champion. And he's one of the top-ranked um, heavyweights in the UFC right now. He can grapple. He can wrestle. He can kickbox aggressively. He can counter. He can be defensively sound. The gaps in their skill sets is so dramatic. It is, you can't even express how wide a gap there is between what he does and what Ngannou does. It, it's not even comparable. And even though Ngannou's on the way up and he's reaching his physical prime, Overeem's not that far off his physical prime. He's still one of the top three or four athletes in the heavyweight division right now. So the only real advantage Ngannou has is that he's bigger, stronger, and he hits, hits harder. We don't know that he has a better chin than Overeem. Nobody's really put, putting the heat on him. We don't know that he's mentally tougher than Overeem. Nobody's put him in a situation where he's had, to, he's had to tough his way out. I know for a fact he is not as skilled as Overeem. I know for a fact he does not have as much experience as Overeem. I know for a fact he hasn't faced better opposition than Overeem. I know for a fact he doesn't have better IQ than Overeem. These are all facts. These, you, you, cannot, you, you can't argue these facts. These are all actual facts. The gap in skill, experience, quality of opposition, and IQ is like the difference between the IQ of LeBron James and one of my kids in basketball. It, it's that wide. That's how wide it is. So I don't understand how people think that he's just going to walk through Overeem. I know Overeem's chin is suspect, but Verdum's a hard hitter. Verdum didn't stop him. Mark Hunt's a hard hitter still. Mark Hunt didn't stop him. 
I mean, um, Stevie Miocic stopped him, but guess what? He got dropped and almost finished himself. It, it's not like Overeem's been looking terrible in his last few fights. He's actually been looking better and better and better and better against much much better com competition than um, Ngannou's faced in the entirety of his career. And to me, experience counts. Experience and IQ count. So I think this is a very dangerous, very dangerous fight for Ngannou because he's going to face something he's never faced before. For Overeem, it's, it's, it's business as usual. Another bigger, stronger, physically tougher guy, in theory, we don't know if Ngannou is really tougher, but a physically tougher guy who could knock him out. I don't think Ngannou is going to submit him. I don't think he's going to wrestle him for three rounds. His chance is basically to blow Overeem out with power, explosiveness, and speed. But if he can't do that, and it gets into round two or three, is he going to outskill Overeem? I don't think so. Is he going to outsmart him? Mm, I don't think so either. Yeah, I'm so 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 sorry, blah, blah, blah. I'm certainly interested in seeing what Engano looks like in rounds two and three here. But I'm concerned about it reaching that point. I'm concerned about Overeem getting clipped early and and, and going down and being um, put out the pasture here. Because man, he continues to get into the title picture and just falters dramatically. Uh, and I'm not sure if we're going to see that happen again here. Uh, this Saturday, because this is a, I believe this is a title eliminator for Ngannou for sure. Um, uh, Overeem potentially just because there isn't really anywhere else they can go with the division right this point in time. But uh, I, I think this is definitely a fight that's set up for Ngannou kind of to have like a coming out party, and I'm not too opposed to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't get mad at Overeem. It's like the Uriah Favor thing where he kept getting title shots. If you don't want to get title shots, find someone else. Find find someone other than the champion to beat him. If the only person who can beat him is a champion, then, I mean, he's going to keep getting title shots because he, he's running through the division. So if Overeem beats Ngannou and gets another title shot, how am I going to hate on that? He's essentially beating everybody else who's a top 10 heavyweight. I mean, how can you deny him? He's out there just sending people home left and right. Um, going, you know, past the first round, I'm not really concerned about it because that's the risk in every Overeem fight. What if this guy lands on him? What if this guy puts some heat on him? That's the question we ask in every single Overeem fight. So for Overeem, this is the same, this, this is, Ngannou presents the same problems that everybody he's fought has faced. They might be athletic, they might hit hard, they might be dynamic, they could get him in the first round. That, that's nothing new for him. That's the same problem he faces in almost every fight, except for the athleticism, because usually he's a better athlete. But he's faced comparable athletes. He's faced better athletes. Ngannou's never faced any of that. He's never faced anybody who's light on his feet, somebody who can move with them. I don't, I don't think he's faced one fighter who has any legitimate defensive acumen since he's been in the UFC. Overeem knows how to move. He's got good footwork. He can throw counters. He can throw any strike you want from any position. Now, does that mean his chin is going to be guarded and his chin isn't still vulnerable? No. But getting to his chin consistently or getting to it the way you want isn't going to be as easy as it's been with these other guys. And even if you do hurt him and rock him, I've seen Overeem worked through bad spots before. He could still come back. I have no idea what happens if Overeem comes out and kicks Ngannou in the face and stumbles him. I have no idea what, what Ngannou will do. What if he takes Ngannou down? Does Ngannou even have a guard game? Does he have a, a, a counter and scramble game from his back? We have no idea, because basically he just walked through everybody. What happens if he can't walk through Overeem? What happens if he hits Overeem and Overeem can handle the power? What if he can't, he can't corner Overeem and Overeem's just picking him apart left and right? What if Overeem's taking him down left and right? 
you know, these are these are questions we have to ask because we have no idea what this man's going to do or what he can do because we haven't seen him tested and we haven't seen him face a, a, a legitimately skilled, all-round, experienced fighter. This is going to be the first time we've ever seen it. And the division, the heavyweight division is so thin, experience. So when you make a step up in experience, it's a huge step up in experience. And I still think experience matters. I think it does too. Um, I think it does too because uh, yeah, there's a level of pressure there that we just don't really, that you just don't know if you can make it through. So I definitely agree with you there. You made those points about um, Nganu and what he has, you know, what he has done. But there are still questions about what we haven't seen yet, and I think we're going to get some of those answered uh, coming this week. Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Nganu wins. But I, I really, I really think that Overeem's prepared for this. I really, unless I mean, Ngannou could just smoke him. That's possible. He might even be better than I expect him to be technically. But I really only see one way of him winning this fight, and that's if he lands something big. But I think the chance of him landing something big or landing the right kind of shot isn't isn't as obvious as everybody's making it to be. I think he he has a huge disadvantage of technique, technique and skill, and experience. And I think. Overeem's going to expose him a little bit. I think even if he beats Overeem, Overeem's going to expose him a little bit. He hasn't been in an indication of anybody as savvy, as experienced, as skilled, or as athletically gifted and physically strong as Overeem. It's going to be the first time he's faced somebody who could do him some damage, who could do some harm with him. Keep up with them. That's a big shock when you're used to having a huge advantage and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. It'll be a huge, um, it'll be a huge situation. We're definitely going to learn a lot because it's going to be a lot for us to really see there. And speaking of learning a lot, we have probably my favorite fight that I'm looking forward to the most is Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje. As Eddie Alvarez has been putting it leading into this fight, that we're going to learn who the UFC's most violent man is, and I totally agree with him because these two guys are going to get in there and they're going to sling wood. Um, I'm so excited about this fight. I wrote a piece about this earlier that um, I think that this is Gaethje's chance to kind of cut the line and get into the title picture if he has a big win on Saturday, especially with the fact that Eddie already has a loss to Conor McGregor. I think that a big win for Justin on Saturday kind of puts him in a position to jump over Tony Ferguson, especially with the things that Ferguson and Dana White kind of, or what Dana White said about Ferguson today, uh, yesterday during the fighter scrum. So there is that, but this is just a fight that kind of, like, this is what gets, makes, this is the type of fight that makes people fans of MMA. You have two guys that don't do anything else but get in there and throw and throw hard with bad intentions. Talk to me about this fight and what do you see coming? Um, is it, I mean, Eddie Alvarez kind of lucked out getting into this fight because, I mean, the fight with Poirier was kind of disputed. And and, and fighting Gaethje, Gaethje, after that win over Johnson, was essentially the hottest commodity that they had in the UFC, not named Conor McGregor. For a guy who only had one fight in the UFC, the buzz before him and the buzz after that fight was huge. I mean, a, a, a star was born overnight in the UFC with that performance. As far as the fight goes, it, it's the kind of fight that, like you said, it it, it cre creates new, new fans. It's happy for the hardcores because of Eddie's extended history in mixed martial arts and his championships in other organizations. Hardcore still respect all the fights he had, um, even though it wasn't against elite. But his con his consistency and his performances and his increase 
in the quality of his performances over the years. And just the casual fans who don't care about titles and don't care about legacies, they're just going to get to see two guys wail on each other. I don't know if it'll show who's the most violent guy. It's definitely going to show who's the guy who's got the most heart, the most grit, and the most durability because both guys are going to be pitching and catching in this fight. Um, I think Eddie's a little bit more of a live dog than people expect him to be. People forget because Eddie Alvarez gets in the brawls and he's and he's prone to, when he gets hurt, throwing out, throwing out the game plan and just trying to get it back. He's actually a very competent boxer, light on his feet. He moves very well. He's excellent on the counter. And he's not great great at range, but he's very good when you fight in the pocket. He's good at leading in the pocket. He's good at tying up, controlling guys in the pocket, moving around in the pocket, um, being defensively sound, landing on the counter, and landing with power. He did so against Cowboys Roney. He did so in spots against Gilbert Melendez. In the, in the, the minor exchanges he had with Anthony Pettis, He's done similar things. So he, over his history, he's gotten better. His hands have gotten a little bit sharper. His counters have gotten a little bit sharper, and he's settled down a little bit in his pocket game. It's not as wild. It's not as offensively based as it is, but it's much more defensively sound and accurate as far as counters go in the placement of his shots and his place and his his positioning in the pocket goes. He's actually better than Gaethje is as far as my, as far as I'm concerned, as far as technique and strategy in the pocket. The problem for him is. Gaethje is good in the pocket. Gaethje throws a lot of volume, and Gaethje transitions through the pocket into the clinch very well because of the forward pressure and the aggression he puts on. He he based, he based, he never gets stuck in the pocket. He wants the fight to be chest to chest, chest, forehead to forehead, which means he pushes right through the pocket and gets into the clinch. Eddie Alvarez is good in the clinch. Justin Gaethje is great in the clinch. He's very busy. He's very active. And he sets a, he just sets a, he, he's very physical in the clinch. And I think at this point, he's the younger, physically stronger, more physically durable fighter. So if he, if and when he gets in the clinch, I expect him to really dominate from the clinch. I expect him to be able to bully Alvarez. I expect him to be able to wear on Alvi, an Alvarez with extended clinches, with extended clinches and extended exchanges in the clinch. And I think that's going to be the place where he can. The other as the other area that he can attack Eddie Alvarez is is at range, at range, and even in the pocket. Eddie Alvarez, a lot of his defense is based on him moving around, and a lot of his offense is based on him using good footwork, feints to work his way in, and set up his shots. But the thing about it is, and we've discussed this after Gaethje beat Michael Johnson, Gaethje isn't as easy to hit as you think because he's he throws so much volume, he makes guys hesitate, and when you, you fight at a certain kind of pace. Your technique isn't as sharp. Your placement isn't as sharp. Your punches aren't as sharp. Your kicks aren't as sharp. Plus, you're getting pushed back. You're not moving back. You're not dictating the range by hitting angles and circling out. He's pushing you back, which also limits your uh, your effectiveness as an offensive fighter. But more importantly, Justin Gaethje attacks the body very heavily, and Justin Gaethje attacks the legs with kicks very heavily. If you don't have a base to stand on, even if you're throwing counters, you can't put any real heat on them. If your base is getting torn up and your body's getting torn up, your body, you can't slip and dip and duck away and circle away from punishment. You can do that early in the fight when you're getting kind of dinged up and your body, your body's still fresh and your durability is at its max. But as the fight goes rounds and rounds and rounds, you'll start slowing a step. You'll start going from a, a half step to a full step slower. All those defensive maneuvers are going to start going away because your core is going to be torn up from being punished with knees. Um, right and left hooks and body kicks 
And then on top of that, you're not going to be able to move around the cage to set traps to walk him into shots because he's been chopping away at your legs. So now your base is gone. You can't generate real power. And when somebody hits you with real power, not only can you not get away from it, but you can't take it because your legs aren't, your base isn't stable enough to, to help you absorb the shock of the, of the punches. So I expect Eddie Alvarez to have a lot of moments in this fight. He might even be, he, he, ha, he has a chance to actually finish Gaethje because Gaethje gets hit a lot and Gaethje comes forward a lot, which means he's walking into shots. But the thing about it is Gaethje's very systematic and he's very deliberate in what he does. There's the structure and there's a method behind his madness. And that constant abuse to the body and the legs is eventually going to wear Eddie Alvarez down because Eddie Alvarez can't get away from a leg kick. He can't, he can't get away from one. He can't defend one. He can't even really counter one. And if you're deliberate in attacking the legs and the body, Eddie Alvarez will break down. He's at a stage where he's in physical decline, in my opinion, and as tough and as savvy as he is, he can't main, maintain the kind of pace that Justin Gaethje is going to set. So unless he gets him out of there ASAP, Eddie Alvarez is going to fade. He's going to start resorting to just getting into wild exchanges, and um, Gaethje is just going to overrun him with volume, physicality, and body work, and, that, and, he should, and he's going to stop him in a violent, violent manner. You said some pretty, pretty interesting things there, man. Um, because from my point of view, how everyone's talking about this fight is that they're talking about it in a way that Eddie's chin is questionable. That's where the big conversation points have been right now. Eddie's chin is questionable, and he's going to get clipped and put out, which is a very strong possibility. Um, same thing with Justin here. Um, because it's, it's the fact that, you know, the way he fights, I mean, Michael Johnson clipped him and clipped him badly. Uh, and so did Nick Newell. Nick Newell with one arm had him hurt. I mean, like if you re remember that back in World Series of Fighting. So, yeah, he can get touched and he can touch get touched violently. But this is just the type of fight where it's like I really don't know what's going to happen until uh, it'll go down on Saturday um, from a – technical standpoint i don't disagree with anything that you said there i think we're gonna go it's gonna be two guys that are gonna go in there and this is this might it's a three-round fight man i think it's very slim pickings to see it going three rounds i wonder what the odds are on it going all three but this is definitely i think an opportunity for the ufc to make a star out of justin if he gets to win there eddie eddie already has that cachet and this is the last fight on, on Eddie's contract. I didn't know that until today. But this is the last fight on his contract, which has which gives him more um, leeway. Because if he wins, I mean, he, he, he can definitely use that as, as a bargaining chip going forward. But in my opinion, I think that this is a fight that is for Justin to win. And it helps drive the, the division forward if he does get this win. Yeah, well, I mean, on that point, Eddie's kind of similar to Michael Bisping in a certain instance in that he got his title and he got his huge payday. He's kind of doing it because he wants to. He's, he's already achieved. He's reached the pinnacle in multiple organizations. He's been a champion. Top ranked and been a champion. So he, he's just doing this because he wants to do it. He enjoys doing it. Maybe he's he has some belief that he can reach the peak of the mountain again. So And I respect Eddie for that. And if he wins this fight, you're right. He is in the driver's seat. My only concern for it is we've seen Eddie hurt and hurt badly. We've seen Eddie stop recently. I've, never, I've seen Justin Gaethje get rocked. I've seen Justin Gaethje get beat up. I haven't seen him get stopped yet. I've seen the game. I've seen them exploited more than the holes in um, Gaethje's game. He's, some people have landed some good shots on him, but the fact of the matter is Gaethje's a little bit better than people expect defensively. He rolls with a lot of shots. The way his arms go up and down, a lot of the shots don't land clean on his head. They, they 
land on his arms. They kind of clip his arms and then bounce off his head. They hit his shoulder and then hit his head. Even the body shots aren't landing nearly as clean as people think they are. And the, and the issue I have with Eddie is, one, against guys who are willing to engage in brawls with him, he becomes very hittable. He's already a hittable guy, but he becomes very hittable. Eddie has historically tired, even when he was younger, tired, late in fights. Eddie's always been vulnerable to leg kicks, leg and body work. He's been disgustingly vulnerable to that kind of stuff. And these are all things that, that Justin Gaethje tests. He tests your cardio and your ability to go pace. He tests your ability to get into wall exchanges. And he consistently and violently attacks your legs and your body with kicks and knees. So it's like there's multiple avenues and multiple results we've seen where Eddie's lost as a result of these things. I still haven't seen Gaethje lose. We've had people say, well, he could have lost here, and they're right. He could have been taken advantage of here, and they're right. But the fact is, nobody's ever been able to close the show on him. And how to beat Eddie Alvarez, there's a couple books written on him by different guys. Justin Gaethje has read those books, and he's experts in some of those subjects. Pushing a pace, attacking the legs, two clear lanes of victory to Eddie Alvarez. Who pushes the pace harder than Justin Gaethje? Who attacks the legs better than Justin Gaethje at this division? I have no idea. Nobody. So uh, while, while he's vulnerable, and I, I believe Eddie could catch him and could stop him, I haven't seen it happen yet, and I've seen bigger hitters, and, I, and I've seen bigger bigger hitters, more better athletes closer to their prime land on Gaethje and not put him away. So the only way Alvarez is going to win this is if he stops him. I don't believe he can win any other way. I expect him to land on Gaethje. I might, he might even have him in trouble at some point. But based on what I've seen from them very recently and what I've seen of them over the last, what, year, two years of their career, it'd be hard for me to go against Gaethje. And, I, and I'm a big fan of Eddie Alvarez's experience, but I think he's starting to show some of the wear and tear of, of constantly fighting. I mean, up until he knocked out Rafael Desanos, he wasn't really in exciting or dominating performances, even in his winning. His wins against Pettis weren't exciting. His wins against Melendez wasn't particularly exciting fought RDA, that was his big win. But his loss to Donald Cerrone was fairly one-sided after the first round, and his loss to Conor McGregor was completely one-sided. After the the minute the, minute the bell rung, it became Conor McGregor's fight. And I, I just can't ignore the fact that I saw those things happen. So, what about the idea that Eddie may go in here and try to wrestle him? Eddie's not as good a wrestler as everybody keeps making him out to be. If I recall correctly, I think Justin Gaethje is a more, more accomplished wrestler than Eddie Alvarez. He is. He like, is. So, I mean, everybody keeps talking about Eddie's wrestling, but Anthony Pettis isn't the best defensive wrestler. And he had a hard time taking Anthony Pettis down in certain instances in the fight. Eddie's never been a, a lockdown wrestler. If he was, he, he'd resort to it more because he's so good at it. But he's not great at it. And he's never been great, at whether it's control or getting the takedown. And um, I remember he said at one point when he fought Conor McGregor, you know, I'll show you how easy it is because this guy can't wrestle. I don't remember him getting Conor McGregor down. I don't really remember him wrestling Gilbert Melendez and dominating him. He dominated Anthony Pettis, but even Pettis was able to get up and defend a couple takedowns more than once. So, I mean, it's an approach he can use, but I don't know how well he can use it if he's being pushed back. And I don't know that he can wrestle for a hard, hard uh, three rounds. I mean, it's like the same thing with Tyron Woodley. Woodley's a very good wrestler, but he hardly ever uses it because the energy you exert trying to take someone down who can defend it and trying to control them, against the guy, especially against another wrestler. So is Eddie willing to take that trade off 
for a takedown he may not get and control, I I can almost guarantee you he's not going to be able to maintain. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Hmm. I'm not going to disagree with you there, man. Some, definitely some good uh, insight. Definitely some good insight. So let's continue moving along. We have Henry Cejudo and Anthony Pettis. Uh, not, excuse me, um, not Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis. And a lot of people are picking Sergio to win this fight here, which I think is pretty interesting, um, seeing how he's dealing with someone who's probably, I mean, he might be one of the best wrestlers in the industry today. What are your thoughts about this fight here? In my opinion, I'm looking at I'm looking at Henry to get the win here. Um, I'm looking at him to be able to do just enough to protect himself on her feet and get takedowns to kind of wrestle box his way towards a win here. I don't think this, a win in this fight is enough to put him back as a title contender against DJ. I think that they're head, full steam ahead with putting DJ against TJ Dillashaw. But I think this is a win that keeps him in the conversation. Same thing with Sergio. I think it is a win that makes him the number one flyweight contender. But the flyweight contender is not getting the next title shot at um, at Mighty Mouse. But either way, what are your thoughts about who comes out on top here and how? When this fight originally was scheduled to happen, I thought Sergio would clearly win it. I thought his versatility, his all-around striking, and his experience level was going to be enough to attack the holes in Henry Cejudo's game. But Henry Cejudo's really made a huge leap forward because he had that long camp before he fought Joseph Benavidez. After that fight, he had the camp that he was going to fight Sergio Pettis, but he got injured. And then he had the camp he had. He had he was training healed from his injury. He was training casually. And then he got the camp for Wilson Hayes, Hayes before he fought him. So And then now he's getting ready to fight Sergio. So essentially, he's had four camps to adjust his style to kind of diversify his experience level to learn in sparring to drill new techniques and new approaches and kind of put some cohesion between the individual aspects of his game because the issue i had with him is he couldn't put things together he could wrestle or he could box he could muay thai or he could wrestle or he could muay thai and he could box he couldn't transition from the ranges as good as an athlete as he was he always Either box, 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 kickbox, kickbox, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. He couldn't transition ranges. He couldn't put them together. And that lack of cohesion is where um, Mighty Mouse got him. When he got in that clinch, Mighty Mouse was able to transition from wrestling in a clinch where he's the, where Cejudo is the strongest, and he transitioned to striking. Strike, strike, strike. Then he put him down, and then he finished him off. Cejudo was able, never able to get momentum going because he could never control the range or the place of the fight because... Mighty Mouse would transition from one thing to another. Oh, you wrestled me, took me down? I'm going to start grappling you, get this, get back on my feet. Oh, you're trying to enter in wrestling? Well, I'm going to wrestle you, defend it, then I'm going to transition into striking. But now it seems like Cejudo has put some cohesion between his techniques, and he's increased his accuracy, and instead of leaning on his athleticism to make him more effective on the feet, he's actually executing a well-rounded, deliberate offensive game that's allowing him to instead of using his athleticism as a crutch he's using his athleticism to enhance his actual his already established skills and the athleticism gap between him and and sergio is tremendous sergio is usually the better athlete nine times out of ten in this case he is not the better athlete well i'll take that seven out of ten ten times sergio's a better athlete especially against the guy he's been facing the guys he's been facing haven't been top end athletes they've been good experienced fighters who helped him learn his craft, develop some savvy and some situational awareness. But he's at such a disadvantage against Cejudo. And 
in my opinion, Cejudo's actually the more durable person. Cejudo's taken, was taking huge shots. Huge shots from Benavidez. And Benavidez isn't the most athletic fighter anymore. Benavidez is still one of the best timed and one of the bigger hitters in the weight class. And he was going tit for tat with him. And Sergio Pettis has never been the most durable guy. He's, he, he just never has been which isn't a good sign against a guy who has top-end explosiveness and, in my opinion, has top-end power as well. Um, Sergio's a little bit more delivered. He's more experienced. He's got more savvy. So I think there's spots that he can take advantage of Cejudo in just based off his experience level. Fighting, he's fought more. He's fought a more diverse resume of opponents, and he's got so much seasoning on the feet. But the fact of the matter is he's not a big hitter. A lot of his success is based on him being able to pressure guys and pick them pick them off when they start trying to pressure back and it's his variety of striking his strikes but against a guy who's this much better an athlete that's much more durable and this much better a wrestler and grappler I really have a hard time finding how Sergio's going to win this fight I mean Moreno took him down and almost finished him and Moreno's not one half of the athlete that Henry Cejudo is not in punching power not in physical strength not in explosiveness not in wrestling I mean it the gap is so far between them. I don't know that Sergio can handle the pressure. I don't know that Sergio can handle the power. I don't know that Sergio can handle his physical strength. Prior to the prior to the fight um, with Hayes, even before that, I would have said Sergio's a clear winner. It, it, it's almost impossible for me to pick anybody except Henry Cejudo because Henry Cejudo isn't just a guy who's been resting on his laurels. He's been improving as well. He's, he's mastering his skill set. He's taking it more seriously. He got thoroughly undressed by Demetrius Johnson. And ever since that loss, he's taken huge steps forward in each fight. And um, I, I'm, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to go with Cejudo on this one. He's a better caliber of athlete. He's the bigger puncher, the more durable guy, and he doesn't have as diverse a skill set and skill set or range of skills. But his ability to put his skills together and the support they get from his physical advantages is what I think is gonna determine where the fight happens and how the fight ends. So what do you do with the winner here then? Do you put them right in, into the title picture? If if Sergio won, he'd have to be the number one ranked flyweight. And if they don't make and if they don't make the Jillishaw fight, they have to put him in there because he would have won. What this would have been his fourth, fifth fight in the row, all against an ascending level of physical talent and technical skill and experience. So he's been getting better by little by little, and he's been fighting slightly better opposition little by little. This would be the this would be the second or third best guy in the division. He would have beaten him. I mean, there's no need for him to fight anybody else because everybody else is coming off of losses. So pretty much that'd be the only available fight for him. Anything else would be a risk of missing out a title shot. I I always said after he won that last fight, he needed at least one more fight against the guy. He, he couldn't do what he wanted against before I would believe that he was ready for Demetrius Johnson because Demetrius Johnson knows how to make adjustments and you go from doing what you want against him to him doing what he wants to do against you. Um, if Cejudo wins the fight, I'd really like Cejudo to take another fight, but once again, who do you have in fight? If he, beat, if he beats Sergio and he beat Wilson Hayes, who do you have in fight? He'd be, the, he'd be the guy who's essentially the number one contender, and he'd be the last title challenger. So who else do you have in fight? Who else is coming off a win who it makes sense to have him fight against? I, I don't know who that guy is. And, and it'd, it'd be... They'd probably make the Dillashaw fight if they could, but if not, the biggest fight in the division would be him fighting Henry Cejudo, and the only way that wouldn't happen is if Cejudo turns the fight down, which I think he may actually do. He 
he said himself he wants to get a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more experience, and to kind of clean up a couple things before he has another go at DJ. But um, either way, they, they'd be the most legitimate option. I, I think the, I think the UFC is going to push that Dillashaw fight, though. If DJ wants the big push, he wants the big promotion, he wants the big money, I think he's not going to have a choice but to fight Dillashaw. Yeah, I definitely think that, that is the, uh, that's the fight that they make coming up next. And um, regardless of who comes out on top here, I think that that's just the right choice to make here. Uh, let's keep it moving because we still got a little bit to talk about. Let's talk about Michelle Watterson and Tisha Torres. This is an important fight for the women's strawweight division because, you know, both individuals have value as a top challenger to Rose Namajunas. What do you see here in this fight here? Do you think that Michelle will be able to do enough on the feet to kind of keep Tisha at bay? Or does Tisha's aggression and her, her technical prowess, does that win out here? Uh, I... I don't even know why. I mean, I like Watterson. She's very popular. But I don't know that her resume says that she should be anywhere near a title shot. I mean, the fight against against um, Nama Yunus wasn't particularly close. I mean, it was pretty decisive in Nama Yunus's favor. And she hasn't fought since. I'm sure how she's in a title eliminator in, by, by, any, by any means, to be honest. I can tell you because I, I of the just, way she looks. I mean, like, let's be real here, dude. Like, uh, she'll be in the, in the um, title picture because, the, well, not only the way she looks, but because she's a quality individual as well. You know, she's a mom. She... No, that's not it. It's not the quality individual. There's lots of quality individuals who don't get a push. So I, I don't, I'm not well, that. Uh, I don't, well, she has, a, she has, I don't want to say, I don't want to say the quote unquote full package, but she, I think she has maybe, like, when it comes to some of the, the, the female fighters, she has the closest adaptation of the quote unquote whole package where you know what Dana White likes she's attractive oh, okay. she, yeah. Yeah. Um, she's a mom she's well spoken in front of the camera did you see her doing Steve Harvey uh, yesterday but I, but I didn't I didn't know that yeah like she was on Steve Harvey yesterday did, she did a great job there I mean she's the type of person that they want to put in front of the camera so if she does get a win on, on Saturday she's, she's going to be the number one contender I'm, well, I'm going to call and, it and the, I mean if that's what they want to do but you beat Paige Van Zandt, Angela Mangana. I mean, Tisha Torres would be the best win on her resume. And I'm not saying that to, to be slighting, but, I mean, I still don't know whether they'd have a rematch. It wasn't a very competitive fight in the first place. <laughs> no offense. I, I didn't see it being that, that competitive. Um, the, the, big, the big, I mean, Tisha Torres actually has a bet, better argument. She's beaten Rose once, and she had a, she won a Rose beater in a, a rematch in a very tight decision. So that makes more sense to me. But one, back to the fight, the, my problem with Watterson is uh, Watterson's really an atom weight. I mean, she she has pretty decent power, all things considered, but she's not particularly physically strong. And from what I've seen, she's not particularly physical durable. Angela Magana is like the is like, like the definition of a journey man, journey woman, and she had issues with her. Magana took her down and, and had her in some rough spots and was able to physically kind of rough her up a little bit. And Magana is like a a third-tier fighter at best. I mean, a very experienced one, but still a third-tier fighter. She beat Paige Van Zandt, but I've never seen Paige Van Zandt fight with the with as dumb a fight plan as I've ever seen in my life. I mean, that was just she. she Paige Van Zandt basically decided she was going to fight Michelle Watterson at range. Michelle Watterson, who was a karate a karate point fighting champion and a kickboxing champion, that's just that's just bad corner work. That's bad cage IQ. I mean, it's still a win. But Paige Van Zandt gave her that win. She didn't have to really work for that one. Against Rose Namajunas, 
who in a lot of ways is similar to Tisha Torres. She's taller, she's bigger, but Tisha Torres is similar physical strength, similar durability. Um, Torres works at a much higher pace than Nama Yunus. Torres is all action, all go, combinations, kicks. And um, Torres has a traditional martial arts background. So she's familiar with the side kicks, the spinning kicks, the front kicks, the snap kicks, the question mark kicks. Waterson's not going to have that clear advantage using those techniques because you're, fight, you're facing someone who's also tenured in them and experienced facing them. So you're not going to have that element of surprise. Um, there won't be a huge athletic advantage because they're both comparable athletes. But Torres, in my opinion, is a much more durable fighter, much more physically stronger fighter, and sets a much higher pace than Waterson. I don't know that Watterson can win in scrambles. I don't know that Watterson can win if she's pushed up against the cage. I don't know if they get into heavy exchanges that Watterson can hold her own or stop Torres. Torres has faced the bigger hitter. She's taken the power shots better. She's faced the bigger, stronger fighters, the bigger, stronger grapplers, and she's performed better against them. It's a good fight as far as styles and strategies, but as far as the actual physicality, physical reality of the fight, I really have a hard time picking against Torres unless Torres gets caught in some kind of transitional submission or submission in a scramble. She should be able to out-wrestle Watterson. She should be able to outwork her on the feet. She should be able to, in my opinion, manhandle her and, and stop her inside of three rounds. I mean, I guess a decision at the most, but it, it is best case scenario for Watterson. But I fully expect um, Tisha Torres to win this fight and to win it decisively. Hmm. Interesting. So if Tisha gets the win, do you think it's a, a, a given to put her in the title picture? Uh, yeah, they have a storyline. They've already fought twice before. She beat Rose. Rose beat her in a tight fight. Um, I mean, Torres isn't the most exciting or popular fighter, but um, without any major injuries, um, I can't imagine Joanna's going to jump right back in there. I guess she could. An immediate rematch and set that up. I, w I would say Torres, Torres has... Torres has as big an argument to fight as anybody else. I mean, the only other person who's, who 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 have a better argument would probably be um, Jessica Andrade. Maybe Jessica Andrade would be the other person who has a better argument. Cause she did she Claudia. be? Did she be Rose though? Has she fought Rose? She hasn't. Andrade has not fought Rose. Okay, okay, okay. I was a little confused there. For so a second. she she be she be Claudia. So that that and Claudia was considered the the number one contender to the belt. So the yeah, only true. person who has a better argument will be Jessica Andrade. Everybody else, I don't think, has a legitimate argument over uh, Tisha Torres. I'm not going to argue about that there. So um, that is a fight that I'm interested in seeing just because I'm always interested in seeing the way that they, they position Watterson, who's kind of just like blown up over the last uh, year or so. I can't so, blame Watterson. I don't dislike her. She seems like a very nice person. But I mean... I mean, she she has an appeal, and I, and we can say it's sexist, we can say whatever it is, but the fact of the matter is, if you're if you're a person who can fight or play a sport, and you have some good looks and some charm, you're gonna get ahead. I'm sorry. There's quarterbacks who are very good, who aren't very attractive, and don't have any charm. They don't they don't get pushed as hard as the quarterbacks who's a good looking guy with a good sense of humor and kind of stylish and charming. It goes for men fighters and athletes. It goes for women fighters and athletes. People say it doesn't. But anytime you have a high-level man who's a good fighter and, and appeals to has an appeal to women, I'm not saying just actual looks, but appeals to them in some manner, he is going to get pushed harder than a guy who is a great fighter who has no appeal to the opposite sex. That's just going to happen. Ask Oscar De La Hoya if you don't believe me. 
Hmm. So let's talk about tough because we have a another UFC champion will be crowned on Friday. I think that will make eleven total in, in the promotion. Uh, four women, nine men. Four. Yeah, that's eleven. No, that's twelve. Yeah. No, that's thirteen. How many is there? There will be. There will be. Uh, men's 25, 35, 45, 55, uh, 70, 85, 205, heavyweight, and four women. That's 12. So there, there'll be 12 champions after tomorrow evening. And we have Roxanne Matafari stepping in for Sajar um, Eubanks, and she's facing Montano. Uh, are you interested in this fight? Do you care? Did you watch the season? Like, it does this, is this something that jumps off the page to you? Me personally, I think that this is a fight to set up the winner and the first champion to be fed to someone like Valentina Shevchenko, to be fed to a Ioana if she wants to make the jump, to be fed to Paige Van Zandt. Hell, they're even trying to get Mackenzie Dern into uh, the UFC as fast as possible. I feel like this individual is being crowned to kind of be f- being fed to one of these women that they've been trying to get a title on for an extended period of time. Yeah, well, to be when I saw the show, when I saw the show, um, I, I liked the show. It was a good season. It wasn't a lot of nonsense. It was like a bunch of people who were actually chasing their goal to be better and to win a championship. The thing about it was a lot of the girls on the show didn't have a lot of experience. Some of them were coming off of losses. Uh, and like Montano and Banks, Eubanks were both coming off of losses when they came on the show. There, there was a lot of raw talent, but a lack of experience. I really believe they set up the show for Bob ha- Barb Honcheck and um, Roxanne Matafari to be in the final and to be competing for the championship. I really believe that. And I don't mean that as a slight to the other girls, but when you look at the gap in experience and, and accomplishment in, in mixed martial arts, some of these girls, like, I mean, it's like putting Sage Northcutt in a house with Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, Edson Barbosa, and Edson Barbosa, and um, Khabib Nurmagomedov. I mean, the the gap in experience and class is just tremendous. So I really believe they went at Hanchak and Mataferi to win it. Um, I'm interested in the fight because now now that they have Mataferi in there, I was interested in the regards. I, I would like to see Eubanks. I thought she was a good athlete. She was a good story. Montano um, is a is a tough physical fighter who had a good story. So I was interested in the fight anyways, just because I'm a fight fan and, and it had a certain kind of appeal to it. With Mataferi in it, it's very interesting because now this is the chance for Mataferi to complete her reclamation as a fighter. She was known as a happy-go-lucky kind of uh, Ronin-type fighter who learned from everyone and helped people and was a great grappler, but had clear limitations in her wrestling and clear limitations in her striking. In this second act of her career, She's turned into a much better fighter. If you watch the show, it's not so much that she's a world-class striker, but her poise on the feet is there. She doesn't panic. When a girl puts a combat hits her, she doesn't just start flailing back. When a girl starts putting heat on her and putting combinations, she doesn't lose her poise and start swinging. It's very, she's very poised. She's very controlled. She's showing good foot movement, distance control, counters, leads. Um, Mata Ferry's big issue is she's such a non-athlete. She's not explosive. She's not physically strong. She's not very dynamic and agile and coordinated on the feet. She's like a regular person who just has a great depth of experience and great depth of technical skill and awareness in her fight style. But athletically, she's in a tremendous disadvantage among anybody who's who would be considered top five or top ten in her weight class. She's just such a well-schooled, 
and well-developed and, and seasoned fighter that she's able to win essentially on technique and veteran savvy. So it'd be interesting to see her finally have gone this long journey all the way to get into the UFC for a second time and have a chance to be a world champion. It'd be one of the best underdog stories. It'd be a better underdog story than Michael Bisping because she's big on being a true martial artist. She wants to face the best at their best. She wants to represent herself with pride, dignity, and to inspire and to, and to push the benefits of the martial arts life forward. So she'd be even a better under, underdog story than Michael Bisping because she's a girl with even less physical tools, a person who's traveled an even longer road, and someone who's really had to readjust their whole style and readjust the way they approach life and fighting for her to get to the point she's at right now. And she took huge, two huge chances for being on the other and being on this season of Tough. She, it, it'd just be one of the greatest comeback stories ever, and I, I'd be here for it. I'd be a big fan of it. So let's talk about this real quick because um, there's two questions I want to ask you. First question is, pick either one of these women who are going to be the first champion over, let's say, four names that we know that are going to fight at 125 for women. We know Paige Van Zandt, Jessica I, Valentina Shevchenko, and Ioannia and Jacek at some point in time are going to fight at 125 pounds. Would you pick either one of these two women over any of those four? I wouldn't pick anybody in that. When I We had the discussion when they talked about Paige Van Zandt getting the first title shot, and I told you if Paige Van Zandt would have been in that house, I would have booked her for the finals. Just based off of athleticism, cardio, and physicality alone, she would have curb stomped 95% of the women in that house. I mean, the, the two best people they had in the house, really, as far as accomplishment, were Barb and, were Barb and Mataferi, Neither one of them are great athletes, and neither one of them have been facing the best of the best fighters in the world. The best of the best fighters in the world would be in the UFC, but they didn't have that division. And if you notice, the UFC had a lot of girls who wanted to be in that house. Joanne Calderwood wanted to be in that house. Um, Beck Rawling wanted to be in that house. There, Jessica I wanted. There's a lot of girls who wanted to be in the house. There's a reason why they set it up the way they set it up. When have you ever had somebody going for a title, and you have that thin of a group of people comp competing for it. I mean, you have people who are three and two competing for a title, two and two professionally, and they, they have a chance to be in a tournament to win a title. What sense does that make? That, that doesn't even make any sense at all. And I like Mataferi, and, and based on skill and experience and strategy and tactics, she can compete with anybody in the world. She is one of the best minds and one of the, one of the best technicians and strategists in the sport. But as far as durability, she doesn't in my opinion, she does not have huge amounts of it. As far as athleticism, she does not have huge amounts of it. And if she had to face someone like a Jessica Andrade, she could move up. Hell, Rose Namajunas can move up. Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade, Claudia Gadelia, Valentina Shevchenko, Joanna Jendrick. I don't know which one of them she would beat. I don't know which one of them she'd beat. I don't know how she would beat them, to be quite honest. I mean, I know technically how she could beat them, but I don't know that she puts it all together as physically and technically where she could beat either one of those girls because all those women would curb stop to Jara Eubanks, and so Jara Eubanks was able to out-hustle and, and basically out-athlete and physically wear down um, Roxanne Matafari. And the same goes for Nico Montano. Her biggest wins have been as a result of her durability, her pace, and her physicality. But she's been beating up on women who aren't very durable, aren't very physical, and don't 
and don't really fight at a high pace. Beating Barbara Honchak is a really good win based off her, her experience and her, her prior career in Invicta, but she hasn't fought in years. So you have a girl who hasn't fought in what, two, three, four years? Who's been active, is that really an upset? Is that really, it wasn't a shock to me. Everybody else kept telling me how good she was. I'm like, she doesn't look like she's the same caliber of an athlete as some of these girls in here. She looks a little bit, a little bit rusty, a little bit sloppy, a little bit uh, not as physical or athletically dominant to compete with the best in the world. And that got shown. And the same thing goes for Matafari. She is a great mind and a great fighter. But against a 32-year-old woman who had a very tough weight cut, she was physically manhandled. It, you should watch that fight. When she was put on, when she took, when she wanted to take Roxy down, she took her down. When she w wanted to maintain top, she maintained top. There was one time when Mataferi had her by the fin, almost had her completely on her back, and Sajara basically just wrapped her arms around her, stood up and put Mataferi on her back, just reversed her, and she should, she should have had that takedown, but she couldn't finish it. And, and it's just that lack of athleticism, that lack of horsepower. I don't think it, as far as their physical tools. They can compete with any of the top five girls. And there's going to be a ton of girls filling up this division very quickly. All better athletes. Tiana Suarez, better athlete, better wrestler. Claudia Gedalia, better grappler, better athlete, better striker. Valentina Shevchenko, she fights She fights bantamweight. She, she fights world-class athlete bantamweight. She can hold her on. What are, what are girls 10 pounds lighter and who aren't 150 athletes that these girls going to do to her? I, 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 wouldn't, I, I wouldn't pick either one of these fighters to be any of the top five or top ten of the girls who are going to be in that division in the next six months. So one other question I have for you here too as well um, is about the Brett Johns and Joe Soto fight. This is the fight that kind of stand out to me because I'm a Joe Soto fan and I know you're a fan of his as well too. Yep. What do you see when you um, look at these two guys um, setting up the fight? Um, I really hope that Soto gets a win. He's like an underdog guy, but he's a guy who can really fight. He doesn't have, have a sexy style or a sexy name or a look or a brand, but he's just a guy who is tough, who fights everybody he can fight, and he, and he, even though he's taken a lot of punishment, he's been in a lot of fights, he's, throughout his UFC run, you've seen the improvements in his strategy, in his cage IQ, and his situational awareness, and his striking. He, he's gotten much better. He's a gritty, determined guy. That's the guy who I think is one of the, more of the people's kind of champion type guy. And I want to see him get into that elite range in the division and hopefully work his way into a title shot again. I mean, he got one on short notice, and he put on a hell of a performance. And, and I, I really think he's going to win on Friday. And I, I expect to see him coming into that top five or top seven in the very, very soon. So how do you um, – like, what else from this car stands out to you? Um, I guess the Barb Honcheck fight with Lauren Murphy – it's not a very appealing fight per se, but I'm interested to see how far Barb Honchak can go as far as this, as far as fighting now. Cause she, she wanted to be in the UFC and now she's getting her chance, but she's 38, not 38 now. And no offense, she wasn't a great athlete when she was younger. At 38, you're, you're, not, you're not turning into a world-class athlete. So I'm interested to see how far she can go and what she can do in the division now that she's got her shot long. And as a result, kind of missed her opportunity to make some noise in the UFC. Um, a lot of times with certain fighters like Nam Fan, uh, Gomi, and a couple other people who got into the UFC really late, there are people you've known for being great fighters over the course of their career. By the time they got to the UFC, they were clearly past their prime. And um, 
you you get to see what they they get to do against the best in the world, but you know they're, they're not at their best. And I, I I have some concerns about Barb Honchak because, um, you know, I mean, 38 is a hell of a time to start facing the best opposition you've ever faced in your life. You know. Yeah, man, I'm really, definitely concerned about that fight too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that's what I'm interested in. Mostly, I'm interested in that title fight. I expect Matafari to win it because Montano's a physical fighter, durable, but I don't think she has the athleticism that Banks has. And I think Matafari knows how to, to navigate size and physicality. Athleticism is still a problem for her, which is why I don't think she could hold the belt for extended defenses. But it's just um, brute strength and physicality. She can handle that, especially when she has so many skill advantages. But those would be the fights I'd be most interested in. It's kind of it's kind of a weak card, all things considered. Yeah, it is. It's really a weak card, actually. Um, Adam Martin is getting accosted on Twitter right now because he pointed out the overall record for this fight card is the women on this card is like um, it's it's horrible. It's like thirty three and twenty two, something like that. Something really bad. People and, people might think he's trying to attack women because every. And this is this is the point. This is and I'm getting in trouble for this, but this is why people. This is the the point. If you want to ever get to equality in any sport, any sport coverage, anything else. If you ever want to get to equality, you won't have equality until someone can call out another race or gender. Gender situation for being bad and not have gender or race be brought into it. If a guy is a crappy fighter and a white guy saying it. And you still have to bring color into it, then you don't really want equality because he's calling out these fighters aren't that great. It, these fights were good because a lot of these fighters w weren't really skilled enough or accomplished enough for the fights to to um to not be the way they were. I mean, some of these fights were just one-sided. You had a person who could strike against a person who could grapple. The person who could grapple win. You could have a person who could grapple a little bit, but mostly was a striker, but was a much better athlete. So they beat this for these fights were really quick. A lot of them weren't decisions. A lot of fights were either one-sided or quick, dominant wins, which which helped the fight. You you didn't see a lot of dragging on and boring and ugly fights. But the thing about it is, a lot of these girls, as I said, they're not very experienced. You had girls who were three and two in a tournament for a world chance to be the inaugural world champion in a division. How do you have a three and two fighter in there when the best thing Dana White can say is she's tough? She never gets up and you gives up and you, you know, anything could happen. That's what he's saying about some of these fighters. That's how you know it wasn't top shelf fighters. When they did it for the other division, the strawweight division, they at least had people who were ranked in Invicta, who had numerous wins, who were on win streaks, who were former champions or title <laughs> contenders. It was nothing of the sort. Nothing of the sort in this one. You had a lot of women who were coming off losses, who had maybe one or two wins. Girls who, some people who fought in countries where MMA is not a huge sport. So he's just being honest. It's not a very good card based on what they've done in their skill level and their experience level. They might have good fights, but the fact of the matter is that's because they're facing another opponent of comparable skill to them, which isn't a very high level of skill. And I like Lauren Murphy as much as anybody else. I said that. I do she's too, tough. as well. She's tough as she's, shit. Yeah, she's tough. She's gritty. She's smart. She has a good personality. I could see her behind a desk, but she's on what, a four-fight win-losing streak? I mean, I was just asking, like, how is Kaylin Curran still on the roster? How is Angela Magana still on the roster? Jessica I, how are they still on the roster? The combined record of 10 women on this fight card is 44-31-1. Yeah. I mean, there's no way around it. It's not a sexist thing. It's not a I hate women thing. It's not I don't want to see women's MMA to step up. But we got to call it like it is. 
MMA to be taken seriously, then you have to call it like it is. The minute you start, well, you know, lowering the bar and making excuses, you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing anybody any favors trying to protect them or try to explain um, a lower caliber product. You're not you're not doing anybody any favors by doing that. If you ever watch the season, you're probably not going to. You'll see some of these fires and you'll be like, she's what? She's two and one? What? For a title? What? How did she get in this tournament? She's two and two? How did she get in this tournament? She's three and two? How did she get in this tournament? And none of those three wins are over world-class fighters. They're on small-ass regional shows. And now you are in the inaug- tournament for the inaugural flyweight championship of the world. What sense does that make? I'm not disagreeing with you at all. At all. So that's um last thing I wanted to look at. Oh, wait, 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 wanted... One, more, one more thing. If they had the original matchup between Eubanks and Montano, I'm sure you've seen this on Adam Martin's feed before, and he's a very smart guy. Everybody should follow him, listen to him. You'd have two people coming off of losses fighting for a world championship, the inaugural <laughs> world championship. Yep, two people coming what, off losses. What kind of look is that? I told you, like, they're using that this fight on Friday to set up um so they're using that fight to set up um the to set up the winner to face someone to uh deal with one of those top five in the um the division which i think that they'll be fit to yeah i mean i mean it's it's hard I mean, it's clear It's clear on two things. One, they clearly wanted Honchak and Modifier to get into the final. There's nowhere, There's no reason the field was this thin and this weak they were going for. Second of all, Honchak hasn't performed in years, and Modifier's been in, in Invicta, which is very good, but the girls she's going to be facing are moving up, and come, moving up and coming down from weight division have been facing the base, best in the world and dominating. It, it's clear what they're trying to do, and I understand it's more opportunities for women fighters. I want them to get these opportunities. But I'm not going to lie, opportunity. A lot of these girls are not world-class fighters. And one of them, and all of them, 12 of them, were 14, however many, 16, I can't remember, were less than three fights away from a title shot. It, it just amazes me, and it makes you wonder how you can take UFC seriously as a sport. It's like having uh, the University of Texas in the College Bowl playoff. They're 6-5. and five. No, 6-6. Six and six. They just lost to Texas Tech. You're going to put them in the Final Four for a championship? That that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of what we're talking about. It really is. It really is. It really is. So um, the last thing I wanted to no 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 go ahead. The last thing I wanted to talk about was Bellator 189, where we are looking at um three fights that I think are kind of important on this card: Julia Budd versus Blanco, Chris Honeycutt, Rafael Lovato Jr. and and Hisaki Kato against um Anthony and Jokawani's brother Chidi Chidi uh and Jokawani. What are your thoughts on these three fights here? I think that they're all very some very interesting fights that I don't think should get overlooked this weekend. I'm really impressed with the Julia Budd fight because even though the UFC has a featherweight championship and, and a cyborg would be the best in that division, um, Julia Budd would have been like the first official main organization legitimate champion because she's she's been fighting at featherweight. Whereas when they had their inaugural featherweight title, it was between two bantamweights who moved up. And then one bantamweight refused to defend her title when she had when she was faced with when she, when she was charged with facing um, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world, uh, just 
Cyborg just seen now. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing. I, I, I really think that Julia Budd's going to win this fight. I'm a fan of hers because, as, as I always say, experience matters to me a lot. And she's a fighter who's paid her dues. She's worked her way up. And she's she has a history of performing at a high level in combat sports. And that's why I, I think she's going to win. She's just got, she's faced a better opposition. She's been the more active fighter of swing. She's, she's very physical. She's very durable. She's good at controlling the pace and the place of the fight. Um, and I just think based on her caliber, her, her caliber of opposition and her, how her skills have been developing, I, I feel that she's going to win this fight, most likely by decision. I, I guess she could win by submission, but I really think she's going to win by decision. Um, it'd be good for Bellator. It, also, if she does win, be in their in their champion. Now, I don't think she would ever beat someone of um, Cyborg's caliber. I, I I just don't think she's there athletically. I don't know that she's there. All I think athleticism would be the biggest issue. Cyborg's such a, a huge would be such a huge have such a huge, huge physical advantage over her. But the fact of the matter is, at this stage, Bellator actually has the actual legitimate featherweight division, something that UFC still doesn't have. They essentially just have, what, one fighter? I mean, because home isn't really a featherweight either. So they only have one one legitimate featherweight. That's the champion. Um, Bellator actually has a number of featherweights, and Julia Budd's going to be able to defend her title a number of times if she can get if she can successfully do it Friday night. So it just makes her by, it makes her by proxy the legitimate featherweight, best featherweight fighter in the world. The UFC doesn't even have more than one. It's all people moving up to fight in the division. So just by that fact, she's automatically the best featherweight fighter in the world because she's the only one in the division with other featherweight fighters who she can fight. I, I just think she's a better fighter. I think she's a better fighter. I think she's a more skilled fighter. I think she's a more experienced fighter. And I think that's going to show on Friday. Um, I'm a big fan of the improvement she's made. I'm a big, big fan of the poise and determination she's shown out through her career and the level of opponent she's fought and i look forward to seeing her go out there and and, and performing yeah i'm a, I'm a fan of julia but i know you are too because we've talked about her a lot here and it's definitely good to see her get this kind of second career boom at this point in time in bellator if i'm I, I love the idea that you know that what they're doing with her at at, at this point in time yeah, I, I like her. I I mean, she's fought and she's on. She's a professional kickboxer. She's fought in Invicta. She's fought in Strikeforce. She's fought in Bellator. So she's she's been plying her trade and improving her skills throughout the length of her career. She wasn't somebody who who just got a lot of play because of her looks or because of her her charisma or because she just came out and she was wiping the floor with everybody she faced. She had to slowly round out her skills, develop her skills and develop herself and move to the next stage as a fighter so you've actually we've actually seen her progression through every level of the mixed martial arts and she's faced she's faced some very good competition she's faced amanda nunez she's faced ronda rousey she's faced um charming tweet who fought cyborg she's faced girls who are legitimate fighters she beat marlos kunin for the title so she's a person who's 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 done it the right way. As many fighters complain about people getting shortcuts because of their looks or because of who they're attached to or because who they're friends with, nobody can question um, Bud's integrity or her professionalism because she's done every single thing she needed to do to put herself in a position to compete for a title. 
and to be a champion and, and to be the best fighter she can. And you can't say that for every single fighter in the UFC or Bellator. And I, I admire her for that. I can't say that. A, every fighter works hard, but, but some fighters have to work a little bit harder than others, especially being a, a female fighter. It's a, a steeper climb she's had to make. And she's made it, and she showed class, and she showed professionalism, and she showed a lot of determination and drive. And I'm glad to see someone who's done those things reach the goals they want to get and get the attention, finally get the attention that she deserves. Um, so let's talk about Lovato and, and Honeycutt. That's a big fight to me because uh, I wrote about this on uh, Bloody Elbow this week where Lovato, you know, grappling fans are going to be familiar with who he is and what he's done in the sport. He's facing a guy, Honeycutt, who's a very tough wrestler who hasn't quite kind of um, become the prospect that they thought he was going to be. He is slowly turning the corner, but Lovato, Lovato's 34, so now it's kind of like the time for him to, if he's going to make that run, he has to do it now. What are some of your thoughts um, fight here, and, and what would you do with it? I would always say that Lovato has a chance because Honeycutt still seems to be a wrestler doing MMA instead of an MMA fighter with a wrestling background. It, it's like he hasn't he hasn't turned the corner. Like he's gotten better with his striking. It's gotten serviceable. His grappling is still serviceable, but he hasn't really shown. Said with other fighters, he hasn't shown that he hasn't shown that cohesion, the ability to transition, the ability to to mix things together, to take full advantage of that wrestling. He's still wrestling dependent. If he can't take someone down, he defensively sound on the feet. He's offensively limited. As far as his grappling, it's not bad per se, but it's still so much dependent on his ability to wrestle. He doesn't have really an all-round developed um, gra gra grappling game like some of the better fighters who are wrestlers. Some of the better fighters, even Chris, like Chris Weidman has a very diverse, balanced, and unique grappling game. Yeah, it's based around his wrestling, but a lot of wrestlers don't have the transitions, the setups, or the submissions that he has as, as a grappler. Honeycutt doesn't have that. He's like an athletic guy who wrestles, who fights MMA, but mess, he basically wrestles MMA, to be honest. Um, yeah. Lovato, Lovato's a great grappler, but I'm like, like you said, at this age, he's not going to get too many shots at it. And unfortunately, he's, he's being put in a tough spot because he's fighting a, a young, athletic, can keep the fight on the feet, on the feet if he needs to, and should be able to at least control him in spots enough to win a decision. And so his 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 back's against the wall. He essentially has to win this fight to to consider to continue his career moving forward. And if he loses, especially if he loses in the way that grapplers have been known to lose when they face better wrestlers and control the pace and the place of the fight, it, then that means it won't be a good looking fight. It'll be like an ugly fight where he's getting takedowns defended, getting beaten up on the feed and trying to force the guy to come to the ground when he can't make him come to the ground, which, is, which isn't a good look. So um, I, I'm probably going to say, you know, to be honest, I don't know who's going to win this fight because Honeycutt's so limited, and he's, he's made some bonehead decision when he, when he fights. And I know Lovato's not the most experienced guy, but if anybody's going to finish, I would think he's the guy who's got the ability to finish. And he's the guy who's got more on the line than Honeycutt. Honeycutt's going to get another chance. They're trying to get, give him an opportunity to become a star. Lovato, I don't think he's going to get many more or m many better opportunities than he's getting on Friday night. 
Yeah, I definitely think that, that is that this is a big fight here, and I'm concerned about Lovato's age um, at 34. But you know, he the man is experienced. He's experienced at, in high level grappling. He he's experienced across the board. So we'll see what it looks like. Um, come what are they fighting? Do they fight Friday? I think they fight, think fight so. Friday night. I just fear that he's going to be, you know, like how Damian Maya, when he can get the fight to the ground, he looks dynamic and incredible. But when he can't, in that halfway through the end, towards the end of the first round or halfway through the second round, starts sh- shooting blind. He starts getting beaten yeah. up on the ground. When it's clear that um, he can't get the fight to the floor, get yeah. the fight where he wants it to go. I'm really concerned that's what's going to end up with Lovato because he's, he's not in his prime. And he, you know, from being grappling, you can pile up a lot of injuries and puts a lot of mileage on your body. So if he doesn't get those takedowns or he can't get it to the ground and hold it to the ground after a couple of exchanges, very likely he ends up, like I said, he ends up being like the grappler who's flopping on his back, shooting terrible shots and just getting beaten up and worked over because he can't keep the fight on the ground and he can't get it to the ground the way he wants to. It would be a big hit for him because it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose in a manner that doesn't, isn't exciting, doesn't have any drama and doesn't doesn't leave a good taste in the fans' mouth. And I'm very concerned that he could lose that way against a far superior wrestler and far better athlete. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that at all. So what about um, Saki Kato and Chidi and Jokowani? What are your thoughts about that fight there? I think it's going to be another violent fight that could get overlooked, but it's something that fight fans might want to catch just because of what's going to go down. It's funny how Kato was brought in to get, uh, what's his name, Stitch up, Joe Stitchem up, uh, I um, a shilling. He was brought yeah. in to lose. He was brought in to lose a shilling because he's a stand-up guy, and he wouldn't try to grapple shilling. That's why he was brought in, and then he knocks him out in MMA, and then he knocks him out in kickboxing. Kato was not supposed to be in the point he's at right now. He was not supposed to win these fights. To win it, um, I, I want to say Njiguani is going to win it. I mean, he's he sh- he should be the better athlete. Um, I mean, nobody's going to take Kato lightly ever again after beating Schilling and kickboxing and outstriking him in MMA. Um, I wouldn't say he's a better athlete. I think he's going to be able to impose his will a little bit more. I think he's more of a physical fighter. I think Cato likes to work at a, a range and kind of use his timing to, to get in to land key shots. I don't know that he's great in extended exchanges. I don't know that he's great in the clinch. So unless he's able to kind of offset Njigawani with some grappling attempts or maybe some trips or body lock takedowns to kind of and get him looking for takedowns or clinch attempts. I, I think Andrew Gowani should be able to handle the fight. He's He's got a lot of potential. His his brother actually had a lot of potential too. But um, I, I think he's coming into his own and I, I think he's kind of getting ready to go on a, or his, his performances. I, I don't know because I think with his style, I think it'd be real hit or miss. But I think this is a favorable style matchup given the age of the guy he's dealing with and given the had and I, I think this is a really good matchup for him and I think he's gonna win it. Good good that's a good breakdown there, sir. So um man, we've been going for almost two hours now and but we had a hell of a lot to talk about, just like I said. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh it was cool. I was I, I just kinda chilled out. My kids went to go visit their family and then in my spare time I was uh I was uh looking up look looking up a guy for you. Uh, yes, yeah man and I do appreciate you doing that man. Unfortunately the guy we looked up pulled out of the fight uh we just found out today 
So um, oh, the, the, the fight's off. We're looking at something in the future. We already got a date for early next year. So I'll keep you abreast of that. But yeah, man, I just found out maybe like two hours before we went on. Hey, oh, well, you know what? I feel bad for your fighter because, I mean, I've had friends who fight and, you know, you make sacrifices, you do certain things to get in position for a fight, and then the guy pulls out and you're like, what? What did, what did I just do this for? You yeah, know, what, what did I do this whole six-week camp for? Yeah, it costs yeah. money to be in camp. There's personal sacrifices you make as far as your personal life, your family life, and then to not get that payoff, win or lose, to not get that payoff is, it, it, I don't know personally, but I've heard it hurts. Yeah, it hurts, man. It, it definitely hurts. So, um, you know, where like you know, if y'all if y'all need me, you know, you always, you know you know reach me. I'll do my best. I hit you, man. We, we definitely appreciate you, man, because we were, we were definitely building off of what you sent us. So, we definitely appreciate that. Um, other than that, man, what else are you working on over the next few days? Um, I'm actually I actually did a an article for Combat Press called, and you'll like this. It was called "Dead Weight: The Problem with the Light Heavyweight and Heavyweight Division." Huh. Yeah. Basically, break down how those divisions have gotten stagnant why they're stagnant and what it's going to take for them to, to be, become fresh and active again. Um, the next thing I'm actually working on film radio, I'm actually in the middle of doing film watch and breaking down for the upcoming, uh, Asanyos fight. So I'm doing, I'm doing that in advance, kind of want to look over a couple things. And like I said, it's with my, the other part pieces I've done in that series where I don't just look at the technical matchup. I look at why the fight was made, how this fight came about, what, what it could mean for both fighters, and look at kind of the, some of the historical trends that could tell you where the fight's going and how it's going to end. But that's the that's the next part piece I'll be doing for MMA ratings. Good, good, cool. I am working on some stuff as usual. Um, it's been a pretty busy week, but I'm trying to get one more piece up for ratings before the fights this weekend. Got a lot of cover, man, because it's, you know we got fights every day this week. We got a couple of big um, grappling events going on too as well. So. Got a, got a lot, this is going to be a pretty busy weekend. I'm actually refing a grappling event on Sunday as well, which is going to be funny as hell because I'm I'm not the greatest ref, but, you know, it is what it is. But hey man, well, they, it's going to be a busy week. Stepped up. They, you, you stepped up, man. Refing is not an easy job. I would never want to be a ref. Dude, I dare somebody to try to argue with me too because they're going to get straight double-legged <laughs> in the stands. I don't care. But um, uh, well, Before we go, I, I'd ask you one question. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Am I the only person who thought, you know how Eubanks had to pull out of the fight, right? Yeah. I think she might be fighting, she might have been fighting at the weight, wrong weight division. And I think having to make that weight go in a very short period might have really just done a, irreparable harm to her body. Like, Dude, she, she might, had kidney Yeah, like, why her camp would let her keep trying to cut weight. I understand the opportunity. I understand what it could mean for her. But kidney failure, you don't fix that. I mean... You can navigate it. You can get her to a certain amount of health. Effects of kidney failure. That's permanent. Her that is permanent. Be. You're right. Like that is like long term. Like that's almost the reason why people thought Daniel Cormier would never be able to fight again. I mean, after after the uh, Olympic situation, that's like long. Like uh, what should we call it? Chris Lieben has to take medication now. Uh, and he's not an old guy. I mean, he's in his 40s. He has to take medication because of the damage he's done to his kidneys come trying to cut weight. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, why would your camp... I understand it's a world title. I get it. But you, she has a kid. She has a girlfriend, wife, whatever, and a kid. You, This isn't the most important thing in your world. No offense to anybody who loves fighting. I get it. But it's not the most important thing in the world. Uh, what happened? 
Spawn, yeah, you cut out. All right, so with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out today's show because I'm not sure what happened to Shawan there, but we're going to close out today's show. And thank you guys for listening to us and check us out next week for another edition of the MMA Ready's podcast. Have a great night, everybody.